0: Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, I speak with interesting people in pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic medicine. We hear a lot these days about the mental health of doctors and other healthcare workers, especially now during the pandemic. And many have turned to coaching as a way to deal with the stress and other aspects of the job. My guest today is Dr. Christina Arnold. Dr. Arnold has started her own coaching service and podcast called Your Path in Focus. Today in the show, we'll talk all about coaching, how it has helped her, and how it might help you. And then after the show, I have a preview of my interview with Dr. Evie Abada. Right now, here's Dr. Christina Arnold. All right, I'm here with Dr. Christina Arnold. Most of you listening would have heard of her from the Path Pod podcast, and also probably from Twitter. And and we did the, uh, the crossover episode, the, the Megapod crossover episode, which for my show was episode number 23. Uh, So we probably don't need to go into your background too much, but I wouldn't like to know kind of a little bit of your background story and and why you chose uh, GI Pathology as a specialty.
1: Sure. And I wanted to first thank you, Dennis, for inviting me on your podcast. I'm so excited to be here. I've listened to your podcast. I think you're doing really great work in the space, and it's an honor to be here.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: GI Pathology. Um, This was interesting. I... Pick GI pathology really late in the game. So if you're a first, second, third year resident and you haven't decided, that is okay. I decided the fall of my third year, and I was really stressing at this point because everyone around me seemed to know exactly what they were doing. And I just, it didn't come to me, I liked transfusion, I liked cytology, I liked everything, AP and CP. And I had a hard time picking. And I think for some people, if you love everything, maybe you're going to be a generalist. But for me, I just hadn't found the right thing. I was at UT Southwestern, which is a wonderful training program, still is. They had at that time, a general sign out. And when I went over to Children's Hospital, a pediatric hospital, The GI material was very much consolidated. Most of the biopsies were GI biopsies. So I had this very concentrated experience in GI. And that's when I realized, oh, this is exactly what I want to do. Because it has a diversity of specimens. So you have liver, pancreas, esophagus, you have the whole thing. So it keeps it interesting but I really have a mind that's built for subspecialty. I want to know a lot about a little. The idea of knowing everything about everything makes me very overwhelmed. So I I love the idea about being subspecialized. And here's a tip for our listeners. This is something I believe Sharon Weiss said. She said, you pick a specialty, a discipline, a field based on the mentors in your life. You love what your mentors love it. Really, has nothing to do with the subject, and I think that was true for me too. The people at Children's Hospital in Dallas, Charles Timmons, Art Weinberg, Dennis Rokazia, Anna Gomez, Sandy Cope—all, I, and I—and I know they are more. Linda Margraf—they are such excellent educators. They are such just wonderful human beings. And they made learning so much fun that I think I was really drawn to what they were doing because I was really drawn to them as humans.
0: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the concept of mentorship, something that's come up on, on this podcast quite a bit, especially recently. And, and it feels like you're kind of taking, you know, people were mentors to you and you're kind of taking that and becoming that yourself now for the next group of people coming in through your your podcast and through your coaching and things like that is that kind of what you're trying to do
1: that's correct so yes i have been really fortunate to have a lot of great mentors and and i see them as as really pivotal in moving me into this path and at the same token, when you receive that kind of mentorship, it's really important to reciprocate it back onto the next generation. To not just be a sponge and take it all up and soak it all up and keep it consume it for yourself, but to realize that I also have that opportunity now to be that mentor for somebody else by taking a little more time at sign out to ask, how are you doing and what are you thinking and how can I help you? I really like to say to my residents who come to sign out, because it's usually true, hey, have you considered GI pathology? You're really good at this. If, and because I think most of them are, and they just need someone to suggest it, just to suggest a possibility that they could do something. I think it's really powerful. It doesn't take a lot of time. And it's important to help the next generation of pathologists.
0: Yeah, I think everybody needs or, or wants maybe a little bit of guidance. Certainly in the, some of the residents that I work with, Especially at the beginning, they're kind of they don't really have an idea of where they want to go. So I think the, those kind of a little push in a in a direction is, is probably very appreciated by them. Well, let's get into then the new project that you've started, which is called Your Path in Focus. And as we mentioned, it's a podcast and it's also a coaching service. And I'd like to know when did the idea for this first come about?
1: This is really interesting. When I was thinking, of, when did it come about? I have been a mentor coach since high school. High school was the first time I was asked to be a peer coach. And ever since then, just the idea that there's this... You can work with your mind to get the results that you want and you can make the world a better place by helping other people work with their mind. It's been something that I've really found very rewarding, the most important work of my life. And I've kind of come in and out of it depending on what institution I might add and how much time I have to to devote at it. At my last job, I created a mentor wellness program for faculty. And uh, coming to my new job, I started to think... How can I make this audience even bigger than in one institution? And with the COVID pandemic, we really have to think at that level because the usual forms of communication, the meeting rooms, meeting in person, these aren't existing for the most part right now. But that doesn't mean that you stop just because the resources are out there. It means you go and find something else. So social media is a wonderful resource to connect lots of people, forming a podcast like you do. The world is your audience. You don't have to be limited to the 20 people in your department who are interested in this. So, yeah, so I've been doing this for years, and I'm just kind of shifting my format to what is available now in this space.
0: Okay. So four years, you said?
1: Four years, F-O-R, four years since I was a high school student. I've been working in this space.
0: Okay. So then you've just started your path and focus uh, coaching service. So what was like the initial goal? Like, I I guess, what was the target audience's?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So that's really interesting. I was just thinking, so I've been doing mentoring coaching in some form for years, F-O-R years. I've been doing your path and focus for four weeks. (laughs) So, so, right. Life is just so interesting. So four weeks, F-O-U-R, one, two, three, four. Uh, When I first started it, I was looking to share what I've learned in my own coaching program. So I have, I am I just graduated actually from Empowering Women Physicians by Sunny Smith. It's a coaching program for women doctors. How powerful is that to just be surrounded by right. people just like yourself? And i it blew my mind. The first week, I started seeing massive changes. By the middle of the session, I didn't recognize myself. By the end, I was a completely different person. In eight weeks, you really can change everything in your life if you're looking to do that by doing this kind of work and i just thought gosh why isn't this being taught in medical school why aren't we teaching our children this in high school why aren't we teaching them these life lessons so that they realize that they are in control of their happiness and their control of their misery it's completely a choice everything's an option choose happiness right and that's not taught to us i think we're taught in medical school the grind of the of medicine is work harder it's not enough work harder every every tough day is your is your fault you're there's someone to blame there's someone to resent it's a really harsh environment and it this coaching program blew my mind and i realized that i wish i had known this but i can help other people i can share this message how can i sh- and i started thinking how can i share this message and that's when i thought well i already have experience with a podcast so i know how to do that and if i have a website i have a landing page i can The pet podcast can be one way to get people into the space or hear this message, but then I can also put other content there and start a little community. So my initial goal was just to start sharing all of these messages because I think coaching can heal medicine. Medicine is broken. My long-term future goal within my lifetime, I would love to be a part of the movement that brings coaching from the fringe of medicine into mainstream academic pathology.
0: Okay. That, that seems like that's going to take a lot of work, but you've, you've certainly done the first initial steps and you're, you it sounds like you're, you're doing pretty well. And I, and I've listened to your podcast and it's, it's very good. And I, I'll definitely link it in the show notes so that other people can hear it as well. One of the things you mentioned on the podcast, and I think you wrote a, a little bit about it on the website as well. So you went through a time and the reason I want to bring this up, I think we can all kind of relate to this one, but you went through a time of feeling miserable at work. And then you eventually decided to do something about it, and like I said, we we've, we've all felt this way. I know, I, I know, I have for sure. Can you tell us this story?
1: Sure. Yes. The short version. Well, first I have to start with something. Being yes, I have felt miserable at work. I have felt broken. I felt completely just devastated. I've gone through all of the terrible things you can feel as a human. I have felt all those things. And I want to say those are not the feelings I have at my current job. So people who are listening, who I might be working with, this is not describing my current job. My current situation is actually my dream job. And I got here because I processed a lot of feeling miserable, suffering, and pain. That's how I decided I was going to find a new job and negotiate for it. And I first had to figure out what is my ideal vision and how am I going to design my ideal career? And I, you have to get really granular with that, because if you don't know what you want, you're going to feel very frustrated, and you're not going to have a, a momentum to go get it. So you first have to start with what do you want. And I was very specific. I want to be a 1.0 full-time employee at 0.5 clinical service in a center where people are happy living full lives in a city that had lots of hiking and adventure. That's how it all started. Is I got a very clear on what I needed from a job. And I think once you articulate what you need, the, it gets out there in the universe, things start to move in that direction. But it all starts with listening to yourself. Okay.
0: okay. Wait, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Please. How, how hard is that? Because it sounds like that initial first step, figuring out what you really want, it sounds like that's going to be really difficult to do. Was that difficult for you?
1: Yes, yes, it was. And it was because we don't, in medicine, and I I include everyone in medicine, we don't take time to think about what makes us happy because we're just take the next step, get the next certification, go to the next rung, and we don't take time to say, okay, I know what I can do, but what do I want to do? And that's where having a coach or therapist, somebody outside of your head can be very helpful. And that's one of the first things we did that first week is she asked us if you could have anything in the world. Let's say you have a magic wand. Let's say I'm a genie. I can grant you anything in the world. What is it that you want? What is the best part of your day at your current job? All right. If you figure out what the best part of your day at your current job is, how can you make more of that? What are the parts of your job that you really hate? And we all have parts of our job that we hate. That will never go to zero. But how can we minimize that? How can we amplify the good? So it starts by really Having a very honest conversation with yourself and what you have to be careful about is take out all the shoulds I have to I'm expected to my parents told me to I told myself that I was going to do X Y and Z you have to take out all the expectations and really focus on what makes you happy and that that's really hard for people I think people aren't used to having that look
0: yeah I absolutely agree. Just thinking about it for myself, that would be to actually think about that and then write it down and define that would be difficult.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It takes a lot of thought work. And you really have to silence a lot of the noise that will come up with that. What part of your job do you like the most? There is a part, I've had hard jobs. There's a good thing about every job. So it's about finding where that is. And for, and it doesn't have to be just about the job. So for you, Dennis, the podcast is something you're not getting paid a lot. I mean, I, just because I'm a podcaster, I also know. No one's, yeah. no one's paying me to do this. Right. So I'm doing it because I really love it. Uh-huh. Yes. So I would say when you start thinking about yourself and what do you love, it doesn't have to be necessarily about your job. But I would say your podcast is sort of it's about your your role in pathology. That's something you're doing for free, so you obviously love that. It's something very you're passionate about, and go in that direction.
0: Okay. All right, so we we interrupted your story a little bit. Let's let's kind of get back do, to that. Please do, please
1: I, do. I don't want this to be a soliloquy. Please do. But I also want to say while we're talking about this is I ultimately left my job, my first job, but you don't have to leave your job to be happy. And what I encourage people to do is even if you're thinking of leaving your job, Make sure you're happy at it before you leave. Because if you just think your circumstance is going to make you happy, you'll change jobs and you'll be unhappy again. You have to learn how to be happy wherever you are in life. And I and I say this because not everyone will have the opportunity to move. That's that's a very few people will be able to move across the country with all of their family, et cetera. So if you're one of those people that can't move, realize you can still be happy where you are by by focusing on your thought work, and how to negotiate for what you need where you are. Okay. Um, So, yes, I had to start with that. My second point of kind of disclaimer is I think that people don't often talk about why they left jobs, particularly in academics. And so there gets to be kind of salacious speculation and political drama and intrigue And the silence about it can add to the drama. And I just want to be clear from the very beginning that the misery, feeling miserable and broken that I speak of is what I created for myself in my own head. I, of course, don't blame my prior boss, coworkers, my prior job. It's really is- easy when we're miserable to say it's a system. It's the boss. It's my coworkers. It's whoever's writing the schedule. That's a really easy and dangerous thought to fall into because if you give all of the control over to somebody else, then you have no power to fix it. So, this past year, I've been in Denver now for a year. I've done a lot of of work to get to where I am but the very first thing I had to do is to realize that I was 100% responsible for how I felt when I felt miserable and that was really hard to see but it meant that I could also change everything and be 100% happy that I that I could move myself into happiness and, and out of feeling broken and miserable and it was all through changing how I looked at life and that's where I really draw on coaching to help me get out of my head and move me forward
0: what was it that inspired you yourself to become a coach? Was it your own, this kind of path that you were on, or was it something else?
1: It it was that I saw such profound changes in such a deep way, in such a short time, like in one week to start letting go of all this suffering I had been holding on for one, four, five, eight years. For that to all be unraveled in a week, I thought, wow, I either there's so many people in medicine who are just like me. I know I'm not alone. I know my story of feeling burnt out is a very common story. Most people will probably feel this at some point in their lives and I can help those people. I can share what I, what I, what now seems like common knowledge um, to me because I've been doing this intense work for eight weeks. I never had these thoughts before. And so I really just wanted to help. I think medicine is in a, is a hard place to be because of the expectations are unending for us. You will never be done with your work. There's always more work to do because how can you ever be done with helping patients, curing patients? You're, you're never going to be done with that. And add to that, the COVID pandemic, when we have at a time in the world where doctors, healthcare workers, everyone's on the front lines of this pandemic for this time, in the world's history, for doctors, healthcare workers to have their salaries cut, be furloughed, forced retirements, there's a lot, it says a lot about how the world values doctors and healthcare workers right now. And if you can't get, you you can't get value out externally, you really have to focus on the value you have for yourself internally and things you can control. So I'm trying to just share this message. It changed my life in a really important way. And I think through coaching. I see that that's a way I can help people individually and on a larger scale.
0: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, what sort of, uh, I think you touched on this a little bit already, but can we go through what sort of training you had you had to do in order to become a coach?
1: All right. So that's really interesting because I think the training to become a coach is never going to end there are i had to really be and it's and and that way it's a lot like medicine you never know everything there's always a new technique a new paper and that's overwhelming in some ways but on the other hand it's really exciting to know that i'm going to be learning about being a pathologist the rest of my life just like i'll be learning about being a coach the rest of my life i think that's really intriguing there's so many different thought models and schools and resources so for me yeah so informally you know through through high school, college, medical school, being involved in the coaching was my life. I have that life experience of just being a human who's done all these things. That's that's one very informal resource is the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> I'm going okay. through this very like vibrant life. Also though, more recently, I've more f- dedicated myself to more formal training. So I completed the Empowering Women Physician eight-week program that was teaching us how to mm-hmm. Coach ourselves and how to learn basic coaching principles. That was an eight week program that I'm done with. I am starting January. I'm also in another coaching program. It's the Life Coach School by Brooke Castillo. I'm in her scholars program. And on January 11th, I start a certification program that lasts for a year. So it's a 12 month program. It meets at least five times a week. I mean, these programs are no joke. It's somewhere between five and 15 hours a week, in addition to everything else I'm doing. But there's a lot of work behind it. And then also I've been doing um, Byron Katie, uh, some of her work, and she has a nine-day training program I'm looking at doing as well. So it's a very, I'm now into a very formalized process of becoming a coach.
0: How did you find these coaching programs, you mentioned uh, empowering women physicians, uh, the life coach school, Uh, how did you, how'd you come upon these? Did someone else turn you on to these or did you find them on your own?
1: I went on my uh, Facebook group, there's a Facebook group for women physicians and I kept seeing people talk about coaching. So that planted some seeds. And then I went into the Facebook moms pathology subgroup and I said, Hey guys, I'm trying to find a coach. Can someone give me some recommendations? And I think always the recommendations of word of mouth are the best. And someone recommended empowering women physicians. Check them out. I looked at it and I saw the price tag. I was like, oh, Lord, this is too expensive. <laughs> it was $5,000. It was a wow. lot of money. My life coach school certification program that I'm starting in January is $18,000. This stuff costs a lot of money, so um, so I really resisted it, and I tried to find coaching that was cheaper. And there's definitely options out there, but I kept running up against problems. For example, coaches who aren't female physicians who are moms. I had to spend a lot of time explaining what it's like to be a doctor mom. Okay, and so I just didn't feel quite right. I didn't have the synergy, and so I tried out. uh, Sunny Smith had a free open hours evening so I could see what the session was like. And I felt like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Surrounded by other women, moms, we are all the same. Even if pathology, surgery, radiology, we're all going through the same struggles. And I really felt like these are my people. So yes, finding a coach, what I tell people is that there are many, as many coaches out there as there are stars in the sky. And that's fantastic because there's somebody for everyone check people out usually they'll have a free discovery call it won't cost you anything and you'll find people who you don't mesh with keep looking when you find someone you like where you feel like you fit and where you can grow grab a hold with all you can and and do the work for me now looking back i would say my husband after the first week said that was the best five thousand dollars you've ever spent you've already you've gotten all your money out of it in the first week continuing on it completely changed from feeling broken to feeling empowered in eight weeks. I'm at peace. I lost weight. I sleep better. I feel like I'm living my purpose on purpose. Now I look back at the $5,000 and I think to myself, what is my mental health worth? $5,000. Absolutely. I'll pay $5,000 for it. Sure. So Dennis, can I explain a little bit about the context of sharing money? And I, I have a couple of points with this because I really debated about, am I going to share how much money I've spent on coaching or not? And I have to be careful that this is a sensitive time in our history where people are losing their jobs and getting discounts. And is could it come across as insensitive that I'm talking about spending thousands of dollars on coaching? And I just want to be clear that I'm sharing this because I want it to be clear that I value mental health above all else, and I'm willing to spend significant money and time on my mental health and on gathering skills to help other people with their mental health during a pandemic. I think that COVID has brought some gifts with us. It showed us that never before, or just very unique in this time, has it become clear to me that our mental health is so important and I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm not just saying mental health is important and then running away and then going to sleep or then going to sit on the couch. I'm actually putting my money where my mouth is. I'm actually investing a lot of money and time to become part of the solution, to become part of the change. And I had originally thought about not saying the money, not saying the precise amount of money, just saying a significant amount of money. But then I think that would just only feed in to all of the shame we have around money and mental health. And the shame thrives in the dark. So I think if more of us talked about that we have therapists, that we spend money on coaching, that we would advance more as a field. We would together break down a lot of the shame that we have around money and mental health because shame disappears in the light. I also was very specific about what I'm spending in terms of money and time to highlight that these are very valuable skills. Like I feel like I am going through residency all over again, going through medical school all over again. And the cost is just one metric of that. This is, this is not just some free course I took. This is a significant amount of time for significant amount of skills that I am prioritizing because I think it's the best thing I can do for myself, for my family, for my coworkers, for my field. And I realize that I'm in a privileged position that I have these funds to be able to spend my money and time in this way. I realize that. And that makes me feel even more compelled to do that because I know we can't all make these choices. But those of us who can, if we're really passionate about it, maybe we become the healers of the healers. Maybe that's our role. Maybe that's our purpose. So yes, I'm doing this. I've chosen this very specific path for myself because I want to be the best coach I can be. For those of you who are out there and hearing this, I don't. I want to really say to you, don't let this price tag detract you from finding a coach or becoming a coach. You can find a coach for far fewer dollars. There are some coaches that cost charge $30 an hour for example some people are doing coaching for free so there should be no barrier to finding a coach if you want to coach and then there are also a tremendous amount of free resources for example I have a lot of free resources at my website yourpathandfocus.com I have a podcast that's geared towards people in pathology Brooke Castillo has a wonderful podcast at the Life Coach School, Byron Katie has a website that's full of free resources it's full of podcasts, workshops Sheets. There's really no barrier for improving your mind if your mind is something you prioritize. You don't have the funds. There are lots of free resources out there. And what I like to tell people is like this Yes, I've spent an X amount of money to become a coach, but not everyone, very, very few people will become coaches. So it's like this. Here's my analogy I love getting my car washed. I love it so much that. This is all hypothetical, by the way. I'm going to buy a car wash, hire an employee, get the insurance. I'm going to run a car washing service. This will cost me, I'm guessing, over $100,000 because I love it so much. Now, people who want to buy buildings and businesses, that's not a unbelievable amount of money. But maybe you love car washes too. You don't want to own the car wash, but you can still enjoy the car wash. Go get the $5 car wash. That's all you need to get your car wash. You don't have to spend $100,000 to buy the car wash, hire the employee insurance. So that's the analogy I use for coaching. You, I love coaching. I'm going to... Invest a significant amount of money of the course, of my life to become the best coach I can to help people as much as I can. If you want to work on your mental health and you don't have those resources or interest in spending that much time or money into it, you can still benefit from coaching. You can still find a coach for a much lower price point. And for those of you out there who would like to be a coach, but that price tag is out of your reach or you don't want to spend that much money on it, and that's okay too, realize that coaching Does not require you to be certified. There's no regulation governing body. Anyone can say they're a coach. Anyone can provide services. You don't need to pay thousands of dollars to become a coach. You don't need to be certified. That's for sure. So don't let that be a barrier. I know there are some certification programs that are under $200 so that it's not a barrier for most people. For the listeners out there, I think that's where some people get a little leery about working with coaches because it's not regulated because anyone can be a coach. And what I say to you is, I don't think a good coach necessarily needs to get certified and go through all this process. I want to do it. I think I am a good coach, but I think there are people out there that don't need that level of training. So when you're looking for a coach, you want to sure, if you want to ask them about where they trained, what their philosophy, who their mentors are, I think that's fine. But I don't think any of that really matters. I think what matters is, can they get you results? So most coaches will offer a free discovery call. Go to that call, pay attention to how you feel before the call, and pay attention to how you feel after the call. If that coach offered you something that was useful, insightful, some results, then that's your coach. If they didn't, you don't have any more time to waste, and and you'll and you didn't lose much because it was a free short call. Move on. There are as many coaches in the world as stars in the sky. Find your coach if you're looking for one. There are really no barriers to find that these days when there's free coaching and free resources out there.
0: The coaching, like you said, they have kind of free, you know, trial seminars and things like that. That's a good. That's a good idea for people to get kind of get a taste of it if it's for them and if that particular coach is for them as well. We'll get back to our interview with Dr. Arnold in just a minute. So, it's December, and depending on what holiday you're celebrating, you might be looking for gift ideas. I'm going to recommend the book, The Queen of All Poisons, and here's why. Not only is it a great book, and of course, Dr. Barbara Jean Magnani was a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago, but also a portion of the proceeds from the book goes to support the CAP Foundation's See, Test, and Treat program. Now, if you don't know what this is, the program provides free cancer screening and health education to underserved areas. So these are things like cervical cancer screening and breast cancer screening. And during the month of December, you can enter to win a signed copy of the book from Goodreads, and I'll put a link in the show notes for that. So pick up The Queen of All Poisons, either for yourself or for someone you love. Not only will you be getting a great book, but you'll also be helping those in need. And that's what this time of year is all about. When you're working in pathology and laboratory medicine, there's one thing you always need, good quality scrubs. Well, Dress A Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress A Med, and if you use my link in the show notes, you'll be helping to support the show. And now back to Dr. Christina Arnold on the People of Pathology podcast. I wanted to talk about Byron Katie a little bit because you, you mentioned her already, and I know you've talked about her. You've quoted her a few times on your podcast First of all, who is she? And okay, um, and then we'll, we'll go from there.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, by the way, for listening to the podcast so carefully. That's really flattering, and really, and your time is your most precious resource. That you spent some of your time on my podcast, it really means a lot. So, Byron- oh yeah,
0: it's 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 good for the uh, drive to work.
1: <laughs> Very good, good, good. Okay, so Byron Katie is a thought leader in this space. There's so many people out there. I. I gravitate to people who I get results with. So I, you know, I've, I've tried lots of different podcasts. I really like the work. Uh, she was brought into Empowering Women Physicians, by the way, for a session. So, and I've read several of her books. So that's how I got introduced to her. She is um, really interesting. So she had, I think there was a time in her life where she was so depressed that she checked herself into, an eating disorder, like halfway house for women, because that's the only place that would accept her insurance because she wanted to be in like, in a safe space. And she was so depressed, she wouldn't even sleep in a bed because she didn't think she deserved a bed. So she slept by the bed. And one morning she woke up and she just had some clarity about her life. It came to her just in, in an instant. And she said, we suffer because... Of the thoughts that we have, the beliefs that we have, the, the beliefs that we choose, we choose to suffer. So you could also choose to be happy by questioning all of your beliefs and the ones that make you suffer, letting them go and replacing them something that works better for you, for example. And that really, I just, I watched her, you can pull her up on YouTube. She has a podcast and... It's amazing. It's amazing the work that she'll do with someone who's been carrying around pain for their whole lives. She'll just unzip it in a few minutes. And it's not that she does the work for them, but she helps them, which is what a coach would do. She says, identify your belief, ask for questions, and then turn it around. So for example, if I could give you an example of the belief that really made me suffer when I thought about my first job, it was that I'm frustrated that my job doesn't value me. Okay. Enough doesn't value me as I should. I'm miserable at work because my job doesn't value me. That was my belief. So her first question is, is it true that your job doesn't value me? And when you take a moment, and I to be really honest, the answer had to be no, of course my job valued me. They maybe didn't value me the way I had in my mind expected, but of course they valued me. Her second question is: Is it really true? Can you really know your job doesn't value you? And in ge- in general, it seems like that answer is usually no, because you never know what somebody else is thinking. That's that's become clear to me. So her third question is: See yourself wherever you are right now. I'm in a chair in my closet because the sound is really good in here. But see yourself where you are with this thought: My job, my first job doesn't value me and how does that make you feel well it made me feel terrible that's where I felt miserable and broken and unimportant and invisible so our fourth question is see yourself in that same chair in the closet and now take away the idea surgically remove that idea that your first job didn't value you and where do you feel and for me when I take away that thought then I have the space to say, I feel at peace. I feel grateful that my first job gave me everything it could possibly give me for the time I was there. I have so much love for everyone that was there, including and especially my boss and my co-workers in the organization. And now that brings in a lot of room and space to appreciate my first job for what it was, which it gave me everything I need to get my dream job. So she says, after you do these first four questions, you realize your belief is making you miserable, and when you let go of the belief you have love and peace, then you need to find a different belief. And she calls this finding, um, she says, your turnaround. So you take your belief and you find the opposite. So my belief is I'm frustrated that my first job doesn't see my value. And a turnaround that I found really helpful was I'm frustrated that I don't see my value. And that was really true for me. I put all my val. I thought... I was only important if I did papers, if I did leadership, if I did more and more and more, if I carried a bigger load, I thought that w- that then the university would see how how valuable my work was and they would treat me different. And that was wrong because it's not my job's job to make me happy. It's my job to make me happy. So I really had to shift the value of me comes from me. And that was really, that was a really big insight. Well, another way you can turn it around is the belief is my first job didn't value me. If you turn it around, my first job did value me. They did. It gave me everything that I needed from it and more. And I had to really see that at some point, the job that I got first out of fellowship that promised me everything it delivered wasn't enough. My values had changed. I had shifted my career direction and it wasn't fair of me to expect my first job to shift as well. And I tried to negotiate and I tried to make it fit, but it just, we had, it was clear that we had two separate values. And when you come to that decision point, you have to decide either you need to change your values or you need to change your job, but you can't stay It's incompatible to have incompatible values for an extended period of time So I tell people hey if you want to have make lots of money, you're not going to go into academics Or if you want to write lots of papers, you can't go into private practice. Those are incompatible values And when you find yourself in that spot, you have to choose what's more important It doesn't have to be your values. Sometimes it is just staying in your job because all your family is there and you can't move but you have to recognized and be cognizant of, of that situation. For me, I was lucky that I was able that I was able to explore other options. My husband was flexible. And uh, I think it's okay to see that jobs like relationships like friendships ha- sometimes have a beginning, middle, and end. Sometimes they're complete. And if you leave right when you realize they're complete, you can leave from a place of love and integrity. And if you leave five years after you decided that job is incompatible, it's really easy to leave out of place of anger and resentment.
0: Sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, this just listening to your story, um, this brings up another sort of recurring theme that I've heard throughout the interviews I've done that pretty much nobody has throughout their career. It is not a straight line. It goes, there's a lot of curves, a lot of blind curves even, and, and that's okay. And I, I feel like the things, your experiences and maybe the places you've worked and the people you've worked with, they all make you the person that you are right now. And if you had not done those things, you wouldn't be where you are today. Is that is that something? I
1: agree, hundred yeah. percent. It's so funny when you're in the process; it may feel like you're bumping around in the dark and that you're failing and stumbling. I think when you look back at your life, though, when I look back now, I think that was a straight line. I mean, I, it was difficult because I I thought it would be this other straight line, but everything kind of led to now. So if I hadn't done gotten into social media, then I wouldn't have gotten into path pod. And I wouldn't have had the skills to do your path and focus, you know? So now looking right. back, I could say, yeah, at like, just like you're saying every step, as long as you are appreciating for what it is and learning from it, it takes you to the next best version of yourself. The problem is if you don't process those feelings, you don't think about it you don't learn from it, those difficult times, then you tend to get stuck in them.
0: I wanted to talk about the, you've been doing on Twitter, the 92nd mini mentor sessions. And this is just in the last couple of weeks. How did you decide? Well, first, how did you decide to, to start this? And then, what do you? How do you decide what to talk
1: about? Okay, great. <laughs> so, um, I, I, this is all a part of me throwing everything to the wall and see what sticks. So, I started your path and focus. I think we, our first podcast was November first. So, less maybe it's less than four weeks, or so right at four weeks. But I have just been trying to do massive action. And I'm seeing what sticks. I, everything I'm doing has metrics. So I can see which podcasts people are responding to. I can see what social media tweets, Facebook message messages, how that's performing in social media space. And I'm just doing whatever works. So I thought, I'm going to do as many different things as possible because I am fine with that. And seeing how what is most effective. And so I've done, I've done a variety of things, 90 second mini mentor sessions. That's, that's been really fun because I think sometimes people only have 90 seconds and Twitter only allows you to post a video. That's 90 seconds. I've learned through social media in the past that if you just post text, people really don't pay attention to that. If you just have words, if you add words in a picture, you get a lot more people to pay attention. If you add a video then you can get that, that might be the most attention you can get in some cases because people really like to see that live kind of conversation feel. So yeah. So I said, well, let me do a video. What can I talk about? Well, I, what I'm doing is I take my podcast, which is usually about 15 to 30 minutes. And I strip out a couple of the essential little nibbles, just the tokens that are really important, my favorite tips. And I'll put one tip And each 90-second mini-mentor session. And if the person likes it, then they can go check out the podcast. And if they don't like it, well, they just learned, you know, they wasted 90 seconds or maybe they just got one tip and that's okay too. So yeah, whatever works, let me know. I am trying this week. I'm trying... something different. I'm trying these really, I, I'm on Canva. They, it's it's like art design for people who aren't artists or designers. Oh, yeah. So I've just been playing around with these visuals and I'm trying that because I think videos in some ways, I know they get a lot of engagement, but sometimes people don't even have 90 seconds. Let's be honest. Sometimes just sitting down to that, like, this is too long. So I'm just trying to do something even smaller. We'll see what works.
0: Yeah, I, I use Canva too. I I, uh, I make little graphics for each episode. And Isn't it it's, fun? It is fun, and it's very easy to use. <laughs> um, and and it's well, I mean you can get the paid version, but the I I just use the free version, and it's good enough.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So with these ninety second uh, mini mentor sessions, have you received feedback on them? Have they have have people been helped by these, and they and they reached out to you to tell you about it?
1: It's so interesting so I think a few people have retweeted them with a message and that sends to me that they think it's valuable I don't know I don't know if it's a larger thing and I, and it's really interesting so I was looking at I just dropped my an, the next episode of the podcast last night and I went to bed I woke up this morning and I saw there was no social media, Facebook engagement. So it looked like no one was interested, but I had the highest number of episode downloads last night, this morning. It was 50, which is big for me. So, (laughs) because I just started, like I have 450 total downloads at this time. So 50 is a pretty significant number for me. So what I've learned is that there's a disconnect between how people are consuming and the behavior on social media. And I think that's because there is still so much shame around coaching and therapy and thought work and feelings that people yeah. don't feel comfortable to share it. And that's okay. But the truth is they're definitely consuming it and they're consuming it regularly. And this the scale is going up fast. And I am getting emails that come just to me of people who tell me multiple, not just one and not just my mom, you know, <laughs> who tell me that they really needed to hear this. They were in a very dark place. That This one thought really helped them get out of that dark place. And so I really try to think of those people, keep them really in mind. I have pictures. They'll send me pictures of themselves and this and that. So I have a very clear idea of who they are. And I really try to keep them in mind that those are the people I'm trying to reach. Everything you do in life, you'll find haters. And the more you expose yourself, the more haters will come out. And the silence can feel a little bit, um, it can bring out the insecurity when people aren't liking or engaging. But I just try to think about the people who have written me and that even if it's just one person, even if it's just a few people, that that's all worth it.
0: And this kind of leads us into the the next topic a little bit. You know, we hear a lot these days about uh, stress and burnout among doctors and residents, medical students, really anybody in medicine at this point. And that was before COVID. So now it's even worse now. You know, there's uh, increased depression, increased suicide rates. And like you said a little while ago, people don't want to talk about those things. There's a bit of a stigma about it. How, how do you think that coaching or, or some, someone like yourself can alleviate the stress in, in the burnout?
1: Right. Well, I, this is a really important question because there are lives behind every healthcare worker is a whole yeah. life. It's a person. It's not just a number. And I, I think I had read a statistic that one doctor a day kills themselves. That's
0: Wow. And that's just, I I hadn't heard that.
1: At the level of a doctor, that's not considering everybody else. You know, the doctor is just one part of the healthcare community. So, suicide, depression, that doesn't even extend to what about depression? What about having difficulties with marriages? We know the, the divorce rate with doctors is high, depression rate is high. And it's because, directly because, we have really shamed healthcare workers about seeking help for their mental health we've really we've really stigmatized that this culture of medicine is one of sure we want our patients to be taking care of their mental health but we can't do that for ourselves because of all the shame that we have around it so there's a lot of work to be done in this space and it's so important and the word burnout is a very popular one I think people people are okay. People have recognized that burnout is a real thing that happens to most people. We haven't figured out as a healthcare system how to fix burnout. And in the middle of all this burnout crisis came COVID. I would say healthcare has been changed forever immediately. I don't think we're ever going back to 2019 before all this started happening. I don't think salaries, I don't think jobs are ever going to recover like they were. This is just a new world. And it's a dangerous time. If people felt healthcare workers had a tenuous relationship to their value, it's even become more tenuous because now we can see, well, clearly, healthcare workers were not valued as much as we should be because our jobs are being slashed, our salaries are being slashed. How do we go from where we are to somewhere positive? I think the system has to fully break down, which is what's happening now. And it has to be rebuilt. And I think that Of all the things I've seen, I think coaching is the only thing that will heal medicine. There are elements that are being brought into medicine, the yoga, the mindful meditation, the relaxing music, the aromatherapy, and all of those things are good things. Those are all important. They're all going to make someone feel better, but they're a bit of a band-aid. They make someone feel better for five minutes for, you know, for this defined period of time. But if the thought is what's causing your misery and you're not dealing with the thought, you're going to feel miserable even though you're in a room with aromatherapy. You will leave that room with aromatherapy and you will go back to your thoughts. So I think that we have to, Make, that's part of the reason why I'm interested in making coaching mainstream. I realize it's fringe now, but it's not, it's making inroads in really meaningful ways right now. And I think once we kind of embrace it, my philosophy is I think every healthcare worker needs a coach. And once we get our organizations to pay for it and it happens, then we'll start seeing changes at the level of the individual. And once you can heal one individual, Think of all the hundreds of people, Dennis, that you touch in your life. In terms of all the residents, all the people you work with, and those residents go right. out and then they inspire and interact with all those other hundreds of people. So, if you can heal one person, you're really in healthcare. You're really healing hundreds of people. But it's there has there's a lot of work between where we are now and where we go then. And part of it is breaking down the shame around coaching, therapy, mental health, and part of it is providing resources. I think it can happen within my lifetime.
0: Is that, is that where, where we need to start then, taking away the, the shame and the stigma of it, and then like you're doing uh, and some of the other coaches out there t- providing the resources, is that is that the place to start? Because it feels like, and again, I haven't gone to medical school, I don't know what it's like, but it feels like there are aspects of medical training because everybody that goes through it is stressed.
1: Yes. You know, yes.
0: is that, is that, are those the things that need to change first?
1: So I think kind of like my, um, I think this is really approached in like my, my, my 90 second mini mentor session, throw it all to the wall. Do everything that you can and see what sticks. I think we're just, it's in that desperate of a place that try everything. Keep the aromatherapy, keep the yoga going, keep all that in whatever you're doing, keep doing and figure out how to add to it. You're right. Medical school, PA school, histotech school, nursing school, whatever, we take our best and brightest healthcare workers. We take these really competent excellent people and we just put them through the grind and then we're surprised when they feel like they're broken pieces at the end. So I the earlier we can intervene with these bright young minds, the better. And so we are starting to see medical schools bringing in coaching. For their medical students and that is genius because if Mm -hmm. you can capture them at the very beginning and teach them that their thoughts control their feelings and they can choose a thought that will help them instead of a thought that makes them feel broken then you've just changed that person's life forever and that person can go on and teach everyone else that they come in contact with so i think it's it's a genius model to start it's really, really early, so I think a lot of programs are focusing on students who are in remediation, and yes, they they are in a crisis; they need help. But really, every every student needs contact. So what they're right. starting right now, they're doing what's called longitudinal groups. So you take small collections of me- like eight to ten medical students, you meet with them once a month through the course of of through the course of their medical training, and you try to to build community. You try to teach them in these small groups. I think. All of these are good actions. I don't think it's going to be enough. I think until you do one on one with these students and you really get into their minds and you really get to help them with their crises that they're having in front of them, that they will not share in front of a group of eight to 10 peers, I don't think you're going to see long lasting impact. And that's going to require a lot of resources and training and organizations. The government is going to have to be willing to put that all together. So there's a big bridge between the ideal situation and where we are now, but there are significant inroads that are being made. And I'm optimistic.
0: Yeah, that's definitely, it is nice to see ju- just the fact that people can know that they're not the only one that feels that way. And, you know, everybody, the, the mental health of everyone is important. And it's nice to see that this is, you know, being taken seriously.
1: Can finally. I add one other thing? Is yeah. the, the other thing that I want to point out is that if you look at C, what's called C-suite people, they're the CEOs, CFOs, the, that level of the hospital, those couple of people that have all of that power, for those C-suite people, coaching is generally part of the package when they pa- negotiate for their salary they negotiate for coaching it's a standard at that level and the coaching that they get somewhere between 25 50 100,000 or more a year just in coaching and that's because they realize how important their mind is in managing how effective they can be in their job and if that's available for C-suite people we really need to start bringing that down to everybody who builds up the C-suite people. I think I think the, the leaders understand how important it is. They just getting them to devote resources to it and demystifying all the shame around mental health, that those are those are the areas that would meet, need the most attention right now.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. One other thing, the last thing I wanted to ask you on your podcast and on your website as well, you talk about your extraordinary everything. <laughs> so I want to know what does that mean to you and then how, how can your coaching program help someone achieve their extraordinary everything
1: first of all i want to, you got, i love that and I, clearly you are such a careful and thorough reader i'm so impressed that you saw that <laughs> and i when you said that i had to laugh because i thought oh my gosh that is so unclear <laughs> <laughs> that is so like vague. <laughs> and they teach us, I'm taking an online business school. They're like, always go for clarity over cleverness. And you really pointed out that I am definitely DYI in my own online business stuff. Like do it yourself. I am doing it all myself. And so you pointed out a, a, an area that really lacks clarity. So thank you. I um extraordinary everything is something I say a lot to my to my peer group. And it speak and let me explain this. When I went to coaching, it was because I felt so broken about how I left my first job. I had so much pain and shame around that that I could just I it was just terrible. And so I went to coaching and that was my number one goal is to fix, figure out how to forgive myself about this first job and to move on. And when I learned how to forgive myself, and accept myself, and accept the circumstances about my first job, you can't just isolate that to one part of your life. When you really start embracing these thought models and accepting reality for what it is, because when you fight it, you're always going to lose, it colors every part of your life. So, I didn't go to coaching to lose weight, but when I stopped eating my feelings and going to eat whenever I was stressed out and I'm feeling emotional, I wound up losing weight. I didn't go to coaching because I wanted to sleep better, but it turns out when I figured out all my thoughts and feelings, I stopped waking up at 3 a.m. in a panic because I was so upset. All my feelings were coming out at 3 a.m., And I felt closer to my husband. I found my life's purpose. I feel like I'm intentionally leaving my purpose on purpose. So everything became extraordinary. You may have, whoever our listeners, you may have a really dominant crisis right now. It might be getting into residency or finding your job. And that's a great reason to go to coaching for a very focused look at something. But don't kid yourself. If you change your mindset, it's not going to just affect that crisis. It's going to make everything in your life extraordinary. Because the whole key to feeling extraordinary is managing your mind. And once you figure that tool out, you can manage anything.
0: That's great. I, I love that. Like I said, I will uh, link in the show notes to your podcast, to your website as well, to PathPod, a bunch of the other things we talked about. So uh, Dr. Christina Arnold, thank you very much for speaking with me today.
1: Thank you for having me, Dennis. I'm so excited that we did this together. And I look forward to collaborating again in the future. Maybe you can come on to one of my Your Path and Focus podcasts.
0: Oh, that would be fun. That'd be fun. Huh? <laughs> okay, thanks.
1: Let's do it.
0: All right. Big thanks to Dr. Christina Arnold. We're actually working on another collaboration uh, sometime early next year, and I'm really excited about that. that. That should be very interesting. You can find links to everything we talked about today in the show notes at peopleofpathology.podbean.com. And of course, you can always follow the show on Twitter at People of Path. And if you like, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed this episode, and maybe you know someone who might be interested in coaching, please share the episode with them. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This podcast is part of the Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And there's a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you want to check out those interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology Podcast. now here's a preview of my upcoming episode with Dr. Evie Abada. You're involved in an organization called 500 Women Scientists. So, That's- all right. so first I'd like to know what is this organization, what does it do, and then uh, how did you get involved with it?
2: So 500 Women Scientists is an international organization for women in STEM. STEM is science, technology, engineering, maths, and medicine. So the organization is um, one of a kind that's trying to make science open, inclusive and accessible for everyone, regardless of their, um, where they come from, their identity, their gender identity, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what, what part of the world they live in. As long as you're a woman and you're working in the field of science, 500 Women Scientists believes that you should be given the opportunity to thrive wherever you are. And so, one of the things that got me interested in this organization was their mission and their goal. You know, people tend to identify with what they are, um, what they are used to, or so to speak. You know, people tend to identify with people that look like them or experiences that look like them. Right. And so, Five Hundred Women Science sort of embodies um, this concept. And so, that was what drew me to become a part of that organization.
0: To hear more from Dr. Abada, tune in next week on the People of Pathology podcast.